All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Welcome back to Making the Argument 2023 style. All right, so we're going to discuss today um, some tweets coming out from a former Ohio State Senator and, and rather popular leftist on Twitter, Nina Turner. So Nina Turner has a lot of ideas and as you start to look at these ideas, especially in tweet form, it's a little bit um, terrifying is not the word. It's more like she reminds me of someone running for president of her middle school. And the fact that she has a significant amount of power, not just within the social space, but used to have legislative power is a little bit concerning. But as we go through some of these tweets, you're going to understand why they're so popular. And we're going to equip you with the arguments you need to be able to break them down and not only show how they're wrong economically or philosophically, we're going to actually show you how many of them are inhumane when you start to look at the solutions she has for solving the problems she mentions. All of this coming up on this episode of Making the Argument. Thank you guys very much for joining us this afternoon. I guess it would be evening. Yeah, in any case, thank you guys again for joining us in 2023. I'm really excited for today's conversation because I know that we see a lot of crazy leftist arguments on Twitter, and a lot of times we don't feel prepared to tangle with them, and we're sure that we're not going to change their minds, but a lot of times we don't argue with them to change their mind, but to change the minds of people looking on. So you guys are more than welcome to join us on our volley chat. We also have our YouTube channel, and our, we're available everywhere fine podcasts are sold. So let's jump in to it, Nick. As always, I am your host, Nick Freitas, member of the Virginia House of Delegates. Uh, with us today is not Queen of the Bees. Tina is not here today. She stepped out for some milk. She should be back shortly. We have our resident historian and political prognosticator, Christian Hines. I'm here. Christian's here. <laughs> and then, of course, we have Nicholas Hamilton, the good Hamilton, the one that doesn't like central banking. It's a pleasure to be here, Nick. And then our illustrious producer, Sour Patch Lids. Lydia, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Doing how, well. How, how, by the way, did did anybody have anything like interesting happen in terms of like politics this this you know Christmas and New Year season? It was actually that, kind of nice to not focus on politics for a, a little a little while. Still still had to check on it. But one thing I will say is that the reason why we're doing this episode today on Nina Turner. It's because every single day she puts something out and well, I would I would check my Twitter. I'm like, I can't not respond to this. The reason why I asked that question was because I, I was hoping that some, by the way, for those that are listening, this is proof, by the way, that our episodes are not scripted. Because <laughs> The reason that I was asking this question is because for, for those who don't know who Nina Turner is, perhaps, 
the reason that this episode is going to be so important is because the stuff that she says is stuff that I have heard family members and friends that I know say around like the dinner table or around the couch and living room during like Christmas or Thanksgiving or New Year's or really any sort of like family or social gathering. And so it's not necessarily that the heart of this episode is going to be about like debunking Nina Turner. It's about pushing back against some of the most nefarious seductive left-wing arguments that you see in some of the most prominent social settings, in this case being Twitter, because some of the examples that we've got in today's episode that we're going to be, you know, like cutting through are, are things that I see on a regular basis on Twitter. It's funny. It'll be like, like two or 3 AM and I'll be like scrolling on my phone and I'll get this like notification that Nick Freitas tweeted at Nina Turner. (laughs) (laughs) Nick over here to responds to almost every single one of her tweets. And today's episode is going to be about breaking down the arguments that he uses to dissect what she's saying, because what she's saying is so seductive, but it's so intellectually well, she, flawed. She will say, she will say, and, and again, part of the reason why, I, and it, it's not like I stay up till two in the morning, you know, trying to correct everyone on Twitter, right? Um, no, it, it's more of like, this is someone who's a former legislator, a college professor has her own show, you know, over half a million followers on, on Twitter. And a lot of the things that she says, if, if you're not actually going into the policies that she's actually advocating, it becomes really easy to say, well, that, that sounds good. Like this is a person, this one cares about people. She's one of the good guys. And this first tweet that we're going to talk about is actually a pretty good example of this. She said, capping insulin at $35 for seniors is a good first step. It's not the end goal as it's being celebrated as insulin should be free for everyone. She said this on January 2nd. This was yesterday. (laughs) So the, the, here's my problem is again, you look at something like this and you think, well, yeah, you know, insulin is, if you have diabetes, Insulin is necessary for you to live. Well, so of of course, it you know, someone should not be at a point where they're like, you know, I either have got to, I either got to pay for groceries or I've got to die because I can't afford my insulin, right? And that is how this sort of thing is is put forward. Is this as if this is the very real choice that millions of Americans living with diabetes are faced with on a day to day basis? And the problem is, is that a, it isn't true. That that isn't the choice that is faced by millions of Americans every day. It just isn't because as high as you might see some of these prices for insulin advertised or things like that, there is always a mechanism for, for people under with indigent care that don't have the, there's always a mechanism for them to be able to get it. And secondly, but Nick, how, well, wait a second. And, And secondly, it's this whole idea of like, it should be free for everyone. Well, gosh, that sounds nice. If we lived in a magical world where products and services had no costs associated with their manufacture, distribution, or creation. But that isn't what's going on. And so you see something like this, and what it does is, again, my moral problem with what she's saying is that it creates this idea in people's minds that this should be free, that if if some, if some sort of injustice was not taking place, this would be free, mm-hmm. and it's not. And therefore... Right, Nina Turner is going to be the person that we trust, and if we just if we just give people like Nina Turner power, well, then th- this stuff will be free, right? Who could be against that? 
I I, I want to dig briefly into the philosophy that's inherent behind this tweet that like kind of like reading, you know, between the lines. Yeah. And then I want to tee up an opportunity for you to kind of explain to the audience what is so nefarious with the approach that she's taking here and really the, the general argumentation. So first off, notice how it's it's almost like it's implied where, where she set up this dichotomy where if you are opposing what I'm saying, that means you're pro insulin should be $5,000, yeah. right? It, 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 you are, she is, she's implicitly setting up a, a debate where it's one side is the morally good side saying insulin should be free and the other side are the evil, greedy big pharma. By the way, apparently Democrats now hate big pharma after spending two or three years just shilling for them <laughs> over and over again. Now they've gone back to hating them. But like, notice how like that's implicitly in there, right? Because if you disagree with her, yeah. therefore, it, it basically what she's trying to say is if you disagree with me, that's you saying, no, insulin should be over $35 yeah. for everybody. Yeah. That's the argument that she's making. So that's the philosophical approach that she's taking to this, which is quite frankly, I think a little bit disingenuous, implying yeah. that if you disagree with her, that means that you want people to pay more. No, it's government tr off operates in trade-offs. And if you're going to do the necessary things to subsidize making insulin free, guess what happened? There's so many examples of this. When you do price caps, that's what this is, well, they, right? When you do price caps, you will either restrict the supply or yeah. you will increase the cost burden for everybody in the process. But- that here's the you you said that there's already mechanisms in place you know so, so so when you see that price point that's not usually what people pay well nick how do you respond to people and this is the question i was going to ask how do you respond to people that would say you know may, maybe they're not um you know just completely drunk the kool-aid at this point and, and they have at least somewhat of a stronger argument to make and you know what do you say to the left-wing person when you tweet about this that comes back and says well nick those uh, um, mechanisms that are already in place, those are all government mechanisms. Thank you for proving my point, Nick. Well, the, like, the, interest, <laughs> the interesting part is, is that, okay, so we have several government mechanisms and it's still not achieving what you want. At what point are you going to start to question the value of the government mechanism? Now, let, let's look at, because the very first response to the tweet, go back to the last tweet. <laughs> very first response to the tweet is without the FDA, insulin would have been offered as a biologic a decade ago. It would be it would two dollars. It would be two dollars right now. She's actually probably fairly close to what it would be, because here's one of the problems and the reason why so many people look at a tweet like this and are sympathetic toward it is because Nina Turner is actually addressing a genuine problem. And, and a problem that doesn't need to exist, right? The high cost of insulin. Does insulin, should insulin cost as much as it do? Like, for instance, do we have to, like, I don't know, hunt unicorns to find insulin, right? No, right? There, there's actually a, a fairly simple process for getting insulin. The, the patent for insulin was actually, I think, sold for a dollar in the 1920s. So this begs the question, right? The, the, the problem that Nina Turner has identified is a genuine one, and there does seem to be some injustice associated with it. What Nina Turner wants to chalk that up as is the same thing she wants to chalk. This is corporate greed. Okay. All right. I will concede to Nina Turner, that the real problem here is corporate greed. But that doesn't answer the question. Why is it that something that, you know, arguably hundreds, if not thousands of different, you know, ph pharmaceutical uh, manufacturers could create at an, at an incredibly low price? You know, why is it that none of them 
Mm-hmm. Why is it that none of them are actually creating it at a lower price in the United States in order to undercut yes. their market competition? Oh, it's because the FDA, a federal agency, grants them special monopoly privileges for two reasons. One, they have really good lobbyists, right? Some of the some of the companies that are African. Two, the FDA has made the process for actually going through this increasingly expensive and difficult, which means a company that could probably do pretty well selling insulin at a very, very low rate cannot break into this marketplace because there is no way they can get through the barriers that the FDA has set up to go through the approval process. There's been studies that have shown that on average, the average drug takes somewhere like, like, like three plus years and like two to $3 billion to actually get approval and get to market. And, and that and, start that started in, I think it was in the 1960s because it used to be the FDA had a process where they used to have a process where your drug couldn't hurt somebody. Then they changed the process. So efficacy. your drug has mm-hmm. to do everything that you're claiming that it can do. And, and the, the result was, is that, okay, you just added a, a, bunch of tests huge on hurdle with that. And, and not only that because p- people are somewhat different and so you could be running a test and and you know half the people it's not showing a benefit and so therefore the fda will hold production of it because of that but under the previous rules before the 60s that wouldn't have been the case and that's driven up the price yeah. but to your point and and to wrap this segment up i won't chalk it up to corporate greed because the same motivations that exist for corporations operating within the medical field are the same motivations that exist in Food, it's the same motivation that exists with technical equipment like laptops and phones. It's the motivation everywhere. It's the motivation that I'm going to put in work and I'm going to get a reward for it. I'm going to get monetary compensation for it. You're not a charity. You 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 go bankrupt yeah. if you end up giving away computers for free. Yeah. And so therefore, you need to make a profit selling it. That's not evil. Things would not exist in this no, world I, if you I agree. didn't. And, and keep in mind, when I'm saying corporate greed, I'm not talking about corporate greed associated with providing a product or a service for a price. That's not what I'm talking. I'm talking about the sort of corporate greed that Nina Turner doesn't want to talk about. That's the corporate greed where a corporation goes to the government in order to achieve mm. regulatory capture or subsidies in order to finance their operations at the expense of their competition. And if Nina Turner was serious, if she was serious about this, then what she would be doing is saying, why has the federal government intervened in such a way as to prevent other companies from being able to go out and provide this good, which people desperately need for their survival, at a rate that they can afford? But no, 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 she doesn't want to answer that question. She just wants to throw it out there that if Nina Turner had her way, it would be free. Well, how does Nina Turner plan to make it free? She doesn't, because there's no possible way to do that. What she plans to do is have the government intervene to such a degree as to either engage in price caps, which again, if you engage, if you engage in price fixing, you will either create uh, shortages or you will have increased costs spread out to people that aren't using the product, right? Or she wants a government takeover of this, and we all know what a great job government institutions do at efficiently and effectively providing goods and services to people, right? They don't. So the problem is, is that what Nina Turner is not actually revealing to people is that the problem that she's identified is genuine, but she's misdiagnosed the root of the problem. Well, that's a routine thing. It's not just, it's not just a bunch of corporations sitting around going, Hey, let's be super greedy and get rich. (laughs) Because the bottom line is that if, if other companies were able to compete for this, then what you would find is a lot of companies that could sell insulin at, at a price that is highly affordable and competitive within the marketplace, and it would cause a lot of these other companies to have to actually reduce their prices as well. But it's the very government that Nina Turner wants to give more power to that has created a monopoly 
within this industry. And so, yes, Nita, you've identified a problem. And your solution is more government intervention in the form of price caps or government takeovers, everything else. And what we have seen demonstrated time and time again over space and time, right? Other countries have attempted to do this, is that you end up creating more problems than you actually solve. So just be honest. The problem was the government intervened in such a way as to create monopolies. And if we just got rid of the monopolies and we allowed more people to be able to produce this, you would actually get a better quality. You'd get more quantities. And you would get it at prices that people could afford. How do we know that? Because it's pretty much true of everything else within the marketplace. Now, the, I'm going to get to one other argument that I have to. And that is the, Nick, this is different. This isn't a coffee mug or a laptop or an iPhone. This, this is something that is desperate for people to actually survive. Yeah, Nina, you're right. And that makes it even more important that you don't hand it over to a government bureaucracy, that you don't have politicians having the final say on who gets what. Because we see this in other countries right now, don't we, Nina? We see this in the sort of centrally planned economies that you want to emulate, where now the government has the power to say, oh, no, no, you didn't do what we want. You don't get your insulin. Right? Is that really what you want? No, but see, in a marketplace, you can always get it because there's always somebody that wants you to have it. They want you to get the product. And in the marketplace, the difference, too, is that we recognize that every single good or service, every single one has a cost associated with it. For instance, Nina Turner has served as a college professor. Really, did she provide that education for free or did she demand compensation for that? Nina Turner was a state legislature. Really, did she do it for free or did she provide comp did she get provided compensation for it? She, she runs around saying that, you know, workers need to fight for more wages. Well, how are we supposed to get things free if people are demanding that they get paid for something? So stop being intellectually dishonest in such a way to where you're, you're negating every other argument that you're making with respect to labor and everything else. Because I got news for, T for Nina, right? Laborers show up and they want to get the most amount for their labor for the least amount of expense to them. And it's the same thing businesses want. They want the most profit that they can get for the least amount of energy done to make the good or service. So in, instead of creating monopolies where all of a sudden we allow perverse incentives to create a situation where things become in a, unaffordable, you allow an open marketplace where now all of a sudden the incentives associated between buyers and consumers are now working in conjunction with one another to get the best quality, the best access at the best price. This is a reoccurring theme, and we're going to see this in some of our other uh, examples. The reoccurring theme is is in ev literally every single one of these examples that we're going to be bringing up in the show where she's complaining about some sort of economic or social ill that is currently taking place. The primary cause of the problem itself was state action to usually address a previous cause. Yeah. So like, like here's an example. One word line. Uh, you you got to love this one. Poverty is a choice. One made by policymakers. She's absolutely right. The policymakers in Sacramento, California <laughs> are responsible for the largest homelessness epidemic in the entire United yeah. States of America. Nick, I want to ask you one question before we move forward. Can we give our listeners some criteria that they can look for when they look at these tweets to know whether or not they're heading in the right direction or good tweets? Well, so the, the the thing is, when you look at someone like, okay, Nina Turner, this, we'll go to this other tweet here. She made this on January 1st. Poverty is a choice, one made by policymakers. Okay. I stand by my statement. So, so the, the, <laughs> the question is, is poverty a choice? Actually, what poverty is, and, and this, what you always need to look, the first thing you need to look at is, 
um, you need to, to question the, the you need to question the presuppositions that someone has made, right? Don't just take whatever they're saying at, at face value, and, and that includes for anything I say as well. Look at the underlying you know philosophy, the underlying reasoning that is being used to inform this. So the first part of her statement is poverty is a choice. Okay, is that true? I would argue that poverty is actually the natural state of mankind. Thomas Sowell said it best. He goes, you don't ask, why is there poverty? You ask, why is there wealth? Because everyone is born kicking, screaming, naked, and unable to feed themselves. Yeah. So, so the real question is, okay, 10,000 years ago when everyone was running around in loincloths and you know wooden spears and, and trying to like desperately fight for basic subsistence to survive, okay, those people had access to more resources than any single person today as far as like not raw, natural, untapped resources. Why weren't they fabulously? Well, well because it turns out that, that human knowledge and the way to actually apply these things, right? And, and there's so many other factors that go into creating wealth. So the real question is asking ourselves, not why poverty exists, that's the natural state. The real question is, why does wealth exist? So when she says poverty is a choice, I would argue that while nobody chooses poverty, people make choices that lead to poverty. But then she goes on to say it's one made by policymakers. Okay. I don't necessarily disagree with that either. Which policymakers, Nina? Like we all know that she's not talking about, you know, Marxist policymakers that led to, you know, the the, the greatest famine in human history in China. She's not talking about those right. policymakers. By the way, we did a Y minute on that. Yeah. She's not talking about policymakers in in Venezuela right now. No, that she's have saying their, those evil, mean, greedy, yeah. republic, bigoted Republicans. They're the reason that 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 that, that poverty. But here's the again, the nefarious thing is that one of my favorite examples is the homelessness epidemic in California, mm -hmm. um, or the broader on a you know inability to afford housing in California. Somebody like Nina Turner would say, well, see, this is why housing should be a right. Housing should be free. In fact, I think she's she said tweeted. That. She, she, is, she, is, she, said she, that. she has tweeted that before. The problem is, is that California is an example where you can't blame the evil, greedy, mean, bigoted, racist Republicans for housing being as unaffordable as it is in California. You guess what? On the international stage, you also can't blame the evil, mean, greedy, bigoted conservative party in Canada mm -hmm. for housing being as, as grotesquely unaffordable there as well. Who's who's calling the shots in places like Canada and California? Oh, that's right. It's people like <laughs> Nina Turner that are calling the shots there. Yeah. Guess what? You can afford a house in Mississippi you yeah. can afford a house in Georgia. You can afford a house in Tennessee. You can't afford a house in California. I wonder why that is. Yeah, California, he, the fourth wealthiest. If, if California were an independent nation, I believe it would be the fourth or fifth wealthiest country in the world. They do massive transfer payments. It would be payments. for about six months if yeah. it was an independent state. <laughs> they, they, do they do massive transfer payments. So it, it's this idea that, so here's the question. Again, for this specific tweet, poverty is a choice. Okay, again, I would argue nobody chooses poverty, but people make choices that lead to poverty. And then she says one made by policymakers. Again, I would agree that there's mm -hmm. a lot of policymakers that make choices that lead to greater poverty. The questions are which ones. And you, it doesn't take a genius to look at Nina Turner's you know, political philosophy and her other tweets to, to realize that she's coming to the conclusion that it's the sort of policymakers that don't want the government to micromanage the economy. It's the sort of policymakers that don't want to hand out massive subsidies 
or, or engage in, in housing restrictions. Those are the ones she's blaming for poverty. The problem is, is that doesn't explain any of it. It doesn't explain what she wants to do because in, in the in the places where you see the largest amount of homelessness, they, they are almost universally governed by people that agree with Nina Turner. They have mm-hmm. implemented the sort of policies that Nina Turner wants to see be implemented. And Nina, and, and when they implement one of the policies that she wants and it doesn't work, her answer is never to come back and, and actually lose, use a little introspection and say, okay, well, gosh, we thought this would actually alleviate the burden, but it didn't. Why is that? Her answer was always be, it's like, well, that's the problem is it's private property rights, right? If the government owned these, these buildings, well, then obviously we'd be able to house everyone. Someone explained to me in, in a city like New York City, which I, I believe in the, it, it may still be true today, but the last time I checked the figures, I think it was the um, early 2000s, there was more empty, abandoned living spaces in New York City than there were actually homeless people. Really, And the reason for that was because of things like rent control. They made it so difficult to build new properties in New York City because they would try to they would try to arbitrarily fix prices. Well, if you've told me as a property owner that hey, you know that building you own, you're no longer allowed to increase the price of rent. Okay, well the price of utilities goes up, the the price of maintaining the building goes the up, the property taxes you know, go the up, the property taxes go up, but you're not allowing me to actually charge. What, what I can get for this what the government property. is taking the government from me for can owning make the property. more money, but you're not. Yes. And, and guess and what? This is why people are leaving New York State well, and before, California. Before we even get to that, this is why, and then they'll come in and they'll refer to these people as slumlords. Well, yeah, if I can't afford to maintain the building, the first thing that goes, if you're not allowing me to charge what it's actually worth, the first thing that goes is maintenance. So yeah, people end up in, in buildings that are not properly maintained, but it, it goes, it goes bigger than that. If I'm now someone that wants to come in and actually build in New York city in order to provide more housing units, and you tell me I'm only allowed to build this way, or I'm only allowed to charge this month or this much, why would I build there? And so now you end up with abandoned buildings, which by the way, nobody wants to come in and restore or, or, or build up because the moment I do, and the moment I try to turn it around and, and, and make something good, you're going to come in and potentially restrict my investment. And so now if I can't actually get the money out of my investment that made it worth it for me to go in there and do that, why would I? But, but again, Nina Turner doesn't, doesn't look at the second and third order effects of these policies. She just assumes that if everyone running the show was as good as her, then this wouldn't be a problem. No, instead when people like her are running the show, here's what you get. A couple days ago, the, um, Actually, at this point, it would have been a couple weeks ago. The Census Bureau released updated figures for 2021 to 2022. So, so every year the census will release their population figures from July to July, right? Yeah. So, so I remember it was about um, you know this time last year that we were going through the bombshell report that came out from 2020 to 2021, showing that it was like New York State lost literally one percent of its entire population in one year. Yeah, which it, it, that's actually an insane figure. Well, guess what happened? The mass exodus out of blue state America actually got worse this year. Yeah. California lost 340,000 people in 2022 or from July 2021 to July 2022. New York lost 300,000 people from July 2021 to July 2022. Illinois, 141,000 people. Guess what states grew the most? Florida, 318,000. Texas, 230,000. North Carolina, uh, 99,000. 
it's as gosh, it's a, it's it's as if people are voting with their feet mm-hmm. because when they can't vote out their state governments that are destroying the economy and making it literally impossible for you to actually, I don't know, make a living, buy a house, start a business, raise a family, when it's impossible for you to achieve just basic things that people want to achieve in their lives, and when the people that live in those states are incapable because they don't have the numbers to vote out the office holders that have made it so, as we saw in New York State, for example, where Lee Zeldin put up a, a heroic effort, but nonetheless came up a little bit short. Same thing in California where they tried to recall Newsom and they came up short as well. Um, the last resort that people in those places have is leave. Yeah. And they're they're doing so. All right. I got a quick question before we move on to the next topic. Christian, you talked about voting with your feet. It seems like to me that people that moved from New York to Texas came and brought their left-leaning politics with them. That's actually not true as much as, as people believe that or it from is. California to Texas or from California to another well, no, state. It, what it typically ends up being is that you, you will see similarities. So for instance, Austin. Yeah. So the people that left California because quite frankly, their, their businesses weren't able to thrive or they wanted to keep more of their own money, or they found themselves in a situation. We actually discussed this once before where they said, I don't mind paying the higher taxes, but I'm not getting the services I was promised for those taxes. Sure. Those people go and they move to Austin. And okay. then they keep All voting right, for me, Democrats. It doesn't seem like that's the case with folks who moved to Florida because of how big of a win Governor DeSantis had in this last election cycle. Yeah. Is, do you think that that is true and why? Well, the, I'll, I'll give a very brief answer, and this might be an opportunity for us to talk about in a future episode in more detail about the whole mass exodus and how it, it seems like it's actually picking up steam, not slowing really? down. Yeah. And so like at some point in the in the near future, maybe we can do an episode on this. But, but to answer your question— in the 1980s, the people that were moving to, say, Palm Beach County, Florida, which is a suburb north of Miami, they were all snowbirds from New England that were carrying their left-wing liberal Democrat values with them. And so they flipped Palm Beach from historically red county to a solid blue county. And now the new generation of people that are moving to places like Palm Beach, where my grandparents live and my aunt lives, they moved there from other states. They're all conservatives. And so the people that are now moving to places like South Florida – um, or the Tampa area, or um, you know, people that are moving to Tennessee or moving to Texas. Some of them are Democrats. Some of them are 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 just boneheadedly not understanding that they are fleeing policies that they voted for to move to a state that is adopted policies that they did not vote for and that they will continue to vote against once they move there. And it's very unfortunate that they're doing so. But I, I would say that 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 is a a meme that has popped up a lot. But the data suggests, especially in a place like Florida, that the people that are moving to states like Florida are seeking out those policies because they want to continue voting for those type of policies. So it is a bit of a mixed bag, as Nick said, that if you're moving to Austin because you really like the services and you really like the culture and you really like the ambiance and everything, yeah, you you probably will continue to vote Democrat. Um, but if you're moving to um, you know Houston which is a, a very competitive metro area, and you move there from uh, California, and you move to Houston because there's no zoning laws or there's mm-hmm. limited zoning laws, yeah. and the housing is much cheaper, 
I mean, we, we've seen the data. Houston is much more politically competitive. Like, like there's a really good chance that you move there and you voted Republican in the last election. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. And again, that that's an opportunity maybe for us to talk more in detail about that in a future episode. But I, I think the reason that it's worth bringing it up in this episode is because it gets to the heart of what we see in every single one of these tweets from Nina Turner, where she is identifying a problem. If there's nothing else you get in this episode, get this. She identifies a problem, as Nick says. And what she's conveniently leaving out of the pithy tweet is that the source of the problem, nine times out of 10, is the government itself. As usual, the Democrat arsonists are pretending to be the fire brigade. They are showing up to the scene of the crime, the house that's burning. And they are portraying themselves as the firefighters when they were the ones who poured the gasoline and lit the fuse. And that's great. I, that. I, I am sick and tired of people like her going to the general public and say, give me more political power. Give me more authority over your life and I will somehow make your life better. When we have examples that are literally playing out today. There are state legislators all over the country that are meeting for their first time this week for, for the year in states like New York and California, where guess what? You can't blame evil, greedy, bigoted, white supremacist, whatever fascist, whatever, whatever term we now are on the left. You can't blame Republicans for what's happening in California. You can't blame them for what's happening in New York. You can't blame, blame them for what's happening in Illinois. And the people in those states are suffering so much that they are willing to do one of the most stressful things we've in, in surveys. One of the most stressful things you can do with your life is move to another state. Mm -hmm. And people are willing to go ahead and do that because it has gotten so unbelievably bad in places where Democrats have uncontested control. And what I love is that she will completely ignore that because Democrats have no boogeyman in places where her people, her Democrat political allies have universal uncontested control over the levers of state and local power. What you are witnessing is Christian's frustration with housing prices in Virginia. <laughs> yeah, well, because it wasn't too long ago the Democrats had uncontrolled power well, over well, our state let's government. At, let, let's look at this. So we got two more tweets. We're do from, two more tweets. We're going to do from Tina or from Nina Turner. Um, this twenty twenty three. So here's her tweet. Twenty twenty three is officially the fourth calendar year that student debt payments have been paused. If they can be paused that long, they should be canceled. Gotta love the hundred and four thousand likes for this. Yeah, Hot yeah. Take, and, right? and, and again, this is this is the sort of thing where, again, if you're sitting there with student debt, there's a high degree of probability you like what she has to say here. The the but let's look at the underlying presupposition. Okay, so it's been it's been caused for several years, and if it can be paused, then it can be canceled because the argument is, is well, the, obviously we don't need this money. Now, keep in mind, this is the same Nina Turner that wants a, a bunch more spending on housing and a bunch more spending on, you know, uh, insulin and a bunch more spending on healthcare and a bunch more spending on welfare. Like she wants all this additional spending, and yet she's saying, but we should cancel this hundreds of billions of dollars worth of college debt. Oh, by the way, a lot of that college debt went to people that, quite frankly, um, let's just say on average, might be in a better position to pay that, you know, that loan over time than somebody that she claims that she wants to help with insulin prices and with welfare and with housing and everything else. But it, it's worse than that. 
you cannot, you, you can cancel the debt in the sense that you can go to the person that voluntarily took out the debt because that's what happened here. They voluntarily said, yes, I want to go to college. The federal government is offering me tax money to be able to do that. I'm going to go ahead and take that money to go to college. And theoretically, I'm then going to get a degree which will provide me enough economic value to where I'll be able to pay for my own lifestyle at the same time that I'll be able to pay off this debt. And what we found now is that tens of thousands Hundreds of thousands of students took the money, went to college, got out and found that their degree was not as valuable in the marketplace than they anticipated. They might have even been told. And now they're saying, oh, my gosh, I've got $50,000 in college debt and I can't get a job paying me more than $35,000 a year. That's not livable. I shouldn't have to pay back this loan. Okay, on a basic fairness schedule the way or the basic fairness definition we would look at something like this like okay i i'm willing to hear you out um you i i understand that you're in a bad financial situation as a result of this of this educational debt that you voluntarily took but you you did take it voluntarily right all right and and you you did you did choose to spend it the way that you spent it on the degree that you chose to get right okay and and there is cost associated with it like the college got its money the college got its money. You got the money that you wanted to give to the college to get the degree, right? So all of this was a voluntary transaction. Nobody forced anybody to do anything. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So the money has been given. The money has been spent. So when you say cancel the debt, you don't mean cancel the debt as if, poof, it goes away and it no longer exists. What you mean is you want to transfer the debt Onto somebody else. Onto somebody like me. Can I just say, Nick? Well, let, let me finish. What you said me, was a lot more kind than what I would have to I, say. I'm just gonna, <laughs> and, I, and I'm wording it this way on purpose, is I want everyone to understand what is going, what is actually going on here. Forget for a second how nice this might sound, because I get it. If you're someone that's sitting there with fifty thousand dollars in college debt, I understand why you might be frustrated. No, right if now. you're somebody like me that paid off all of my student loans, this doesn't sound nice at all. You know I, what this sounds like? This sounds like f you, Christian. Yeah. And and to and to the millions of people that paid off their student loans. I get it. We're getting to that point. Let me build up. The story has a build, all right? <laughs> I'm sorry. Right. I'm just so the, upset but, about but that's, this. But that's the, like, if you're looking at all this, you're thinking to yourself, well, yeah, you know, they, they haven't made me pay it. And, and this turned out to not be the good deal that I was told it would be. And, and, and I feel, I feel some righteous indignation at the fact that now I can't even get my life started, even though I did what I was supposed to do, right? I went to college, I got a degree and now it's not, here's why it's not fair. Here's why what she is talking about is horribly unfair and unjust. And it's because what Christian just said is that, again, you voluntarily took it out. It might have been a bad decision. But my gosh, if you're if you're an adult and you're claiming that you can do all these other responsibilities as an adult and you can take out this loan, well, then you bear responsibility for it because you can't cancel it. You can only transfer it onto people that didn't take out the loan. They made a different life decision for whatever reason. It might have been that they wanted to avoid college debt, or it might have been that they took that debt and then they paid it off because that's what they said they would do. Or it might be that they chose a career path that put them in a position to be able to financially sustain their both their lifestyle and the debt repayments. But you didn't. You didn't. And I'm sorry, it's a hard lesson and it sucks, but you don't get to transfer it onto somebody else and then pretend that you're just. You don't get to advocate 
The government transferring onto someone and sit there and pretend that you're just. You're not. You're the one perpetrating injustice at this point. And what I find doubly unacceptable is that you were probably the same person that was advocating these sort of government transfer payments in the first place. You set them up for failure, and when they failed, you used their failure to your political advantage. And I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to trust you? I don't think so. I, I don't want to hear a single word out of people like Nina Turner about income inequality economic justice, any of these bogus terms that, 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 that people on the left use to pretend that they are morally superior to their, to their political opponents when they are literally advocating for millions of people who paid off their student loan debt in full yeah. to now take on the burden of paying off somebody else's student loan debt. Yeah. I Guess what I was told? I was told go to college. I was told take out a bunch of student loan debt. I was told, guess what? You got to pay it off after you take it out. And guess what I did? I did every single one of those things. And now I'm being told, get screwed. <laughs> That's not what I'm being told. I'm now being told, aha, uh -huh, I guess you were an idiot. You should have just waited for Joe Biden to write you a check with somebody else's money. We have gotten yeah. to a point in this country where people have now decided, you know what? It's time to pillage the treasury while there's still money left to pillage. Yeah, and, 100%. And, and, and the you know what they'll part, say to that, right, Christian? Can, can, can I add Sorry, one you know last thing? Uh, can I add yeah. one last thing to it? The saddest part is, A, they might be right that it's time to pillage the treasury while there's still, still money to be pillaged. But but B, the, the, the saddest part about this is that they think that they are morally superior for doing so. And I'm yeah. going to I'll leave it at that, Lydia. What, what were you going to ask? Yeah, you know what they'll say to that? They'll say to you, oh, you know, if someone else if someone came up with a cure to cancer, you could say then, oh, I fought cancer the hard way. No one else should be entitled to have this kind of cancer treatment. And I found I found that argument to be so particularly insidious because mm -hmm. it tugs at the heartstrings. It's kind of interesting. But the fact of the matter is that a cancer treatment is not a voluntary college education. In fact, the people who are benefiting from this loan repayment nonsense are the richest people in the U.S., or they should be by rights. People who are college-educated have a better opportunity to earn more money. Now, admittedly, a lot of them choose degrees that don't earn them good incomes, but that's on them. And this, to me, just smells like the dereliction of responsibility that we're seeing in every aspect of life. And just before we move on, I just wanted to throw that out there because I hate the cancer oh, treatment Lydia, argument. Two points. To, I, I love that Lydia brought this up. To, to add on to what Lydia said, First off, one of the things that I see a lot on the internet, and, and for our audience, they probably see it too if they're on Twitter or they're on Facebook or really anywhere online. Um, I love when the left brings up, oh, so what you're saying is, well, I beat cancer, so nobody else should be. Let, let, let's say that we come up with a with a treatment to, to cure cancer, or at least one type of cancer. The left will then say, oh, so you're saying that that, that somebody that, that fought through and survived this, well, because they went through all the hard work to fight it, we shouldn't give this treatment to anybody else. No, that's a terrible, terrible comparison to caricature what I'm trying to say. Because as Lydia pointed out, nobody willingly chooses to have cancer. cancer. Yeah. People willingly chose to go to university. People willingly chose to take right. on student loan debt. Nobody... 
It wasn't like the universe asked you, Jim, do, do, I see that you checked the form asking that you get, that we give you cancer. Yeah. That's, that's not how this works. But more importantly, there is an entire political movement in this country that is predicated on the idea that responsibility is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And we are going to, to absolve you of responsibility. And anybody telling you that you have responsibility for anything, they're the bad guys. No, the people that are saying responsibility doesn't exist and it's just a moral construct are the bad guys. Because guess what? That's how you get civilization to collapse. Yeah. Because when the barbarians are at the gates, the people who think responsibility is an inherently morally evil thing are the people that are going to be responsible for the Gauls sacking Rome. <laughs> yeah. They are going to be the ones responsible for the collapse of the very things that have allowed them to sit in their moral ivory towers and lecture the rest of society about how they are inherently better people. Can I end with, with this? We don't have any more clips, do we? Any we got more one tweets? more tweet to go. Okay, yeah. can we go through this one more? Because there's this one quote from Frederick Bastiat that I think just perfectly exposes the intellectual rot behind everything that Nina Turner has to say. But I want to I want to save it until the very end. Okay. Well, let's let's go. This last one it, it, that we're going to talk about goes. Um, it 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 kind of hits on some of the same stuff, but she she takes a different twist. And the reason why I think this is important for is for some of the things that Lydia just brought up. Uh, Nina Turner says, it's interesting. People who oppose student debt cancellation tend to say people should pay back loans they agreed to, yet they also oppose medical debt cancellation. Medical debt isn't something anyone agreed to. I think people are just advocating for an indebted class. Okay, let's carefully go through this. And I'm actually going to go with what I actually just replied to her on Twitter when she said this. I said, or... We simply acknowledge that products and services have costs. Canceling a loan doesn't make the cost go away. It forces them onto someone else, usually someone who didn't take out the loan. There is nothing just about forcing someone else to pay for your costs. Furthermore, if you forbid people from legally going into debt to pay for things, they won't stop taking out loans. They will simply acquire them on the black market, which will be far more dangerous. Finally, if your suggestion is that the government should provide it for free, it still won't be free. Resources will be confiscated through force and then allocated based on political preferences, which has failed miserably everywhere it has been tried. See, this is the problem. When you look at the overall idea of what she's talking about, and she says two things here. One is people should pay back the loans they agreed to. Then they oppose medical debt cancellation. Medical debt isn't something anyone agreed to. Once again, she is incorrect. She is correct in the sense that when somebody has to take out debt to pay for medical expenses, they didn't want to get sick, sure. But people still choose to take out loans to pay for things. Now, whenever you say that, people immediately come back and be like, oh my gosh, you're, you're a horrible, hard-hearted person, don't you? No, I, I understand. It's difficult. The difference is, is that we are acknowledging that whenever you are getting a good or a service, somebody else had to do something to provide the good or the service. What I find so fascinating is Nina Turner is the first one to come out there and say she is for the workers. She's for the laborers. Nina, how do you think they get paid? They get paid by providing products and services to include products and services that might even be essential to someone's life. And there's no getting around paying them for that unless, of course, you believe they should work for free by force, by compulsion. Nina, is that what you're advocating for? Because if you want to, if you want to chalk this all up to simply suggesting that anybody that doesn't agree with your particular approach has really, really nefarious motives, 
Well, then I'm going to start to consider the nefarious motives of someone that believes that things should be free, knowing full well they can't be. They can only be free to someone at the expense of somebody else. So what sort of society are you really advocating for? You're saying that you want to get rid of debt because of these. Okay, well then how do I, how do we get the labor and the services, the goods? How do we get those things? Do we get them through force and coercion? Because well, I, I, <laughs> I seem to remember, I seem to remember, I seem to remember having a, a, a pretty lengthy and bloody altercation in this country to establish once and for all that you don't have an inherent right to the property or labor of somebody else. And yet the only way I can see to provide for what she's suggesting is that the government now is going to come in and assert their authority over your labor, over your property, in order to distribute in accordance with what Nina Turner thinks the priority should be. Well, what does that sound like? Because it doesn't sound like compassion. It doesn't sound like justice to no, me. No, but it sounds like the road to serfdom. <laughs> what, what this really comes down to is there, there is, she goes, she ends up with saying, I think there are people just advocating for an indebted class. You want Nina, that is the first thing that you've said that I absolutely agree with. And you're that person. You're the one that believes that we should all be indebted to a political class that is going to tell us what to do, how to spend our lives, what we can invest in, what we can't invest in, what we can own, what we can't own. And at the end of the day, they will make those decisions based off of political incentives. And you may imagine that if you were the one in charge of all of it, if you had the sort of dictatorial power that you would use it in a way that was altruistic and kind and compassionate. But every single time it's been done, it has led to nothing but force, coercion, poverty, desperation. Because what you're going to find, Nina, is not everyone wants to live their lives in accordance with your edicts. And the moment they don't, you're going to have to decide how far you're willing to go in order to carry out your objectives. And if history is any guide to that answer, there's almost no limit you're willing to go. Because you have convinced yourself that you are moral and just, and anyone that stands against you is evil and corrupt. And evil and corrupt people, in your worldview, can simply be passed aside. They can be locked up. They can be killed. They can be whatever it takes in order to make sure that your good and noble purpose is, is realized. So yeah, I think there are people just advocating for an indebted class. It's all a question of who takes out the debt and who they're indebted to. And yeah, in, in a world, in the free markets, people have the ability to make bad decisions. The difference is, is that you have to take responsibility for your decisions. The good news is, is you get to learn from them. You get to make better decisions in the future. You would rather have us live in a society where we're all indebted to a political class who would then tell us what decisions we're allowed to make and what price we will, we will be forced to pay to live in such a society. Sorry, Nina, I'm never going to submit to that. The difference is, is that in my world, she is allowed to live the way that she wants, provided she assumes responsibility for her actions. In her world, I will be compelled by force to live the way she wants or else I will be punished. And you will pay the responsibility for her actions. So you that decide the, You decide which one of these things actually looks like a free society and which doesn't. I, that, that, that's such a great comparison. I want to end, at least on my part, with a one of, probably one of my favorite all-time quotes by one of my favorite all-time philosophers. If you've never heard of the name Frederick Bastiat, go look him up. He, um, he was a member of the French legislature at the height of the French Revolution of 1848, the less known but arguably more consequential one, 
at the time when um, socialism was really picking up steam in Europe. The, the, this is close to around the time that, that Marx was, was also coming onto the stage. And he ended up writing this just brilliantly written takedown of really the entire philosophical approach that people like Nina Turner take in the modern era. And here's what he has to say. He says, the socialists declared that the state owes subsistence, well-being, and education to all its citizens, that it should be generous, charitable, involved in everything, devoted to everybody, that it should intervene directly to relieve all suffering, satisfy and anticipate all wants, furnish capital to all enterprises, enlightenment to all minds, balm for all wounds, asylums for all the unfortunate, and even aid to the point of shedding French blood for all oppressed people on the face of the earth. Who would not like to see all these benefits flow forth from the world, um, from the law, as if from an inexhaustible source? But is it possible? Where does the state draw those resources that it is urged to dispense by way, to, um, by way of benefits to individuals? Is it not from the individuals themselves? How then can these resources be increased by passing through the hands of a parasitic and voracious intermediary? I love that he calls the government that. <laughs> Finally, and this is the most important part, this is where the Nina Turners come in. Finally, we shall see the entire people transformed into petitioners, landed property, agriculture, industry, commerce, shipping, industrial companies, all will bestir themselves to claim favors from the state. The public treasury will be literally pillaged. Everyone will have good reasons to prove that legal fraternity should be interpreted in this sense. Let me have the benefits and let others pay the costs. Everyone's effort will be directed towards snatching a scrap of fraternal privilege from the legislature. The suffering classes, although having the greatest claim, will not always have the greatest success. And That's great. This I love is, that. I, 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 it's one of my favorite quotes, yeah. uh, Lydia. I, I, like, I, by the way, for, for, for the audience, if you haven't had a chance to read anything from Frederick Bastiat, Take a look at the law. It's it's probably very short. It's it's like less than a hundred pages, but it it so accurately describes why left wing political and really economic thought is so seductive. It, 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 and it has been really as long as government itself has existed before the term socialism itself was even coined, and yet. It promises heaven and repeatedly delivers hell, and it has for centuries. And so I, I highly recommend if you if you haven't had a chance to take a look at it or you haven't had a chance to take a look at anything that Bastiat has had to write, just look him up. If you listen to this podcast, you, you will probably appreciate what he has to say. Yeah, I like that. And I like the idea of ending with Bastiat. I will say that C.S. Lewis said something similar when it came to Tyranny, he said, basically to summarize, of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. And I think that's exactly what we see in Nina Turner. I think she's a true believer and I think she's paid to say what she says and she's never going to change. But I do think you should engage with these ideas on Twitter and in other places as we wrap this up. Just to summarize, I think that these are ideas that need to be tangled with. So hopefully what we've done in today's episode is really show you some of the stances that can be argued firmly against it. And remember, keep in mind, you're not arguing to change this person's mind. You're arguing to change people on the fringe who might not be sure. So anybody who might be a moderate 
whose mind could be changed. That's who you'll get if you use these arguments against Tina Tina Turner's uh, Tina Turner. Pardon me, it's not Tina. <laughs> Nina Nina Turner, <laughs> different Nina. Um, who, uh, when we look at her ideas, we need to be able to counter them because if we don't, they sound nice, they sound warm, they sound fuzzy and benevolent, and that's not what we want. We want reality, we want truth, and we want freedom for more people. And I think that's what these arguments that Nick presented today will give us. I, I think that that's a great, great way to wrap up the episode. Because the last question that I had was like, well, Nick, why do you even bother to do this? Why do you bother to like tweet well, at I people think, like look, Nina Turner? It, it, here, here's the point. And, and I think we've kind of already summed it up, so I'm not going to do it again. But the, the bottom line is truth demands an advocate. And when somebody mm-hmm. is out there that is in a position of power that is willing to say things like this, that we can see is, is gaining a, a powerful audience, it's our obligation to go out and be able to make a intellectually rigorous response to it. But by the same token, point out the moral deficiency of the argument. If this was simply a a minor disagreement with respect to allocation of funds, that would be one thing, but it's not. She is making a moral argument for why anybody that disagrees with her is bad, and therefore their arguments can essentially be discredited. And what's so fascinating about that is that it's not only that she's advocating for bad policy, but the policies that she is advocating for will have the result of hurting the very people she claims to care about. And if we're not willing to point that out, if we simply just make an argument that statistically this doesn't add up, or philosophically, this doesn't make sense. If we're not willing to point out that it is the most vulnerable that will be hurt by this, we're going to fail in our overall objective, which should be to push for not only a freer society, but one where people do have the options to be able to live their life the way that they want in a way that improves them with their own objectives. So thank you very much for joining us. We hope we did a good job in making the argument against Nina Turner. Yes. And I, I think we, this might be a regular thing. We might have some other people that we actually pull up on Twitter that we see gaining some steam and help uh, equip you with the arguments that you need to effectively respond. Once again, thank you for joining us. And we'll see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to goodranchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.